Well, hello, welcome back to the Pulpit of Podcast. So glad you chose to join us once again this week for this week's adult Bible study as we continue Lesson 9 on our But God series. Every one of our phrases, But God, so far has been in the Old Testament, but this week we get into the New Testament and we see Jesus and an interesting story. I set it up at the beginning, so I won't do it here, but Jesus telling us a parable after some an interesting sequence. And so I'll just leave it at that. I think you'll enjoy that. And it's a this week's lesson is a difficult one on covetousness or greed. And I think it'll be a challenge to you. So thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. Please sign up for the newsletter at bradmcclure.org and then go to join the Pulpit Pew crew. We'd love to have you at three new last week. And we'd love to have you as part of that. So, hey, without further ado, here is this week's lesson. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We have been in mainly the Old Testament so far dealing with these but God phrases. You remember our series is kind of revolves around that phrase, but God. It's, it's basically when God shows up to a situation in our lives. And sometimes that him showing up has not always been the most comfortable for those that we've seen. We saw Jonah. Remember when God showed up for Jonah? It was a time of straightening him out a little bit. We've seen, uh, but God show up for like Joseph when that was a time that, that God really helped in that scenario. But today is going to be another one of those where God is humbling someone. In Luke chapter number 12. And I think I'm going to read, I'm, I'm not going to give context yet. Actually, why not? Because I've already prayed. And so we're going to begin in verse 13, but I want to give you the context. Because Jesus is teaching. Just, just take that in for a second. If you got to be on the earth 2,000 years ago and you got to sit and listen to Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, teaching and and he was teaching, and, and, and I'm just going to just pick a verse. I'm just going to say, let's just pick ver- verse 8, and just listen to a little bit about what Jesus was saying, because it's going to help set up when we get to verse 13. So in verse 8, we're flying back in time, 2,000 years. We're going to sit down and listen to Jesus. Here's Jesus speaking in the middle of his sermon. It's just kind of like we crack open a door, and we walk in and sit down. Jesus was saying this, Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. But he that denieth me before men shall be denied before the angels of God. So, I mean, just initial thought. This just sounds pretty serious. He's talking about people that confess Christ or deny him. Verse 10, And whosoever shall speak a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall not be forgiven. That sounds serious. Verse 11, and when they bring you into the synagogues and unto the magistrates and the powers and take you no thought of how or what thing ye shall answer or what ye shall say, for the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you ought to say. So, I mean, this just sounds like a pretty serious message that he's in. Now, why did I say all that? Because all of a sudden a hand shoots up. Hey, hey. Just picture, just like the little kids. Hey, hey, you know you're in the middle of the gospel. You're teaching kids, and you're in the middle of the gospel. It's a real serious point, and you get someone, hey. And you're like, what? Can I go to the bathroom? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, you know, go to the bathroom. Hurry up, you know, or there's always something. Well, here he is, and Jesus is teaching this, and all of a sudden, it says in verse 13, and one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. 
Now what? That wasn't what Jesus was talking about. That wasn't the context of anything. that. He, it, so here's this guy sitting underneath the teaching of Jesus, and all he's over there saying, the next time he takes a breath, the next time he stops, I'm going to ask him to deal with my brother. I'm going to deal with him. Oh, so next time. And so Jesus maybe pauses right here after he says you, what you ought to say. He kind of pauses a little bit, and all of a sudden the guy thinks, this is my chance. And he says, hey, master, master, master. I'm like, yeah. Will you speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me? Obviously, someone has died. He doesn't like what's been left to him. Uh, or maybe he's got nothing. However it is, we don't know the context of it. And he wants this divided. He's got a greedy, covetous heart. And Jesus answers in verse 14. and said, a man who made me a judge or divider over you. Now, we know spiritually speaking, God, he's the judge of all, but he's saying, I'm not, the, this isn't my earthly role. I'm not a judge that to handle these situations of an inheritance. This wasn't, wasn't what Jesus was on this earth to do, to sit down and say, hey, bring me your grievance about this and let me make a decision. Who gets how much money? He wasn't there about this. He said, that's not what I'm here to do. But then this man got an answer that he wasn't necessarily expecting. But it was a lesson for us, and the reason, while well, we still have it 2,000 years ago, it's recorded in the Bible, Jesus gives this parable. And he said unto him first, though, take heed and beware of covetousness. For man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. So now here Jesus is going to give a parable, and he warns him, first of all, to take heed or to beware. You know what the beware sign is when you see that with a dog all of a sudden it gets serious when we used to go out and knock and then knock on a door and you go to the door and you knock and uh, when you're walking to that door and you're out just inviting people to your church or something when I saw a beware of dog sign all of a sudden I was tense I was looking at the partner that I had made sure he was slower than me and he was so I knew I was good I always took with me a guy about Maybe about 80 years old or so, because I knew I could outrun him. So if there was a big dog, that dog's going to be chewing on him while I'm in the car waving. You know what I mean? So those beware, we know what beware means. Beware means be on guard. And so he says, take heed, beware, but not of a dog. He says, beware of covetousness. And then he says, for man's life consists in not in the abundance of the things or the materials which he possesses. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, so to drive it down a little bit deeper, with this man listening, he wants to give him this parable. He says, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But here's our phrase, verse 20. But God. So here's this guy. He's got it made. He's got everything. He's got money. And he's, I, this verse, nothing in here says he's a bad guy, by the way. Nothing says he's necessarily a bad guy. And business-wise, it wasn't even necessarily a bad decision. You don't know, you've got so much money you don't know what to do with. Well, tear down their smaller barns, build bigger ones so that you can get everything in it that you need. It's not even necessarily a sinful thing that he's doing. But, but Jesus is getting to the heart of the matter in this. And, 
and, and we'll get to some of the issues that maybe this man did have. But, but then it says, But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? Verse 21 is a key verse. So, so is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Talking today about being rich toward God and being careful, and really we're dealing with the subject of covetousness, or I'll call it greed a lot today. It can be translated also greed or covetous either way. And so I want to deal with a little bit about this thought of greed, but a couple of things I want to say at first. First of all, we all have a choice of how we're going to invest our lives. We all have that choice. We're not robots that God has designed and we just have to go at it as robotic as we can. God has given us a choice and we have a choice on how we are going to invest our lives. But it's for some, and we're dealing with money today, we can get the mindset. We say, well, I'm going to do everything I can to serve God, but I'm also going to do everything I can to get money. But that takes me back to a passage that Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 16 again in one of his teachings when he said, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. And then he says this phrase, You cannot serve God and mammon, which is money. So you can't serve both of them. Again, he wasn't talking down about having money, but what he was saying is if your heart is pursuing money, and that's your passion, then your heart and passion will not be to, to serve God. But if your heart and passion is to serve God, it won't be to try to be rich. Now, are there rich Christians? Yes, I'm going to touch on that later on. But it's about the heart. What is it that drives you? What is it that you are passionate about? What is it that you are focused on? And so he says that you can't serve God and mammon. In Mark chapter number 4 there was a remember the parable of the sower of the seed, and he sowed the seed. Some went on good ground, some went on stony ground, some went on to uh, the different types of grounds. But one of them that went to the stony ground. Here's what he says, and I'm reading this to you, and talking about the choice we have to invest our lives. But I want us to also zero in. Remember that word beware, and here's why. Because listen to Mark 14 verse 19. He says, "And these are they likewise which are sown on the stony ground." who when they heard the word, immediately received it with gladness. They received the word when they heard it with gladness and have no root for themselves. And so endure for a time afterward. Now notice what happens. This is the person on stony ground. This is the person, they receive the word of God and they, they're all excited and everything seems good. Maybe they start coming out to church and they are on fire. But all of a sudden, now watch what happens. There's when affliction or persecution ariseth, for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. That word offended means they're tripped up, they stumble. And then it goes on though, and it says, And these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word. And these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as, excuse me, hear the word, and the cares of this world. Now watch this next phrase. And the deceitfulness of riches and the lust of other things entering in choke the word and it become unfruitful. So there's already warning in the scripture that there are some that their response, they, they, they get the word of God and they're growing or there seems to be an excitement about them. But the deceitfulness of riches is the term Jesus chose to use. It chokes them out. It, 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 it keeps them from growing because of a pursuit or a love for money. 
And so those are some of the warnings that he gives us. And it's really greed, as I think about it, or covetousness or greed. It's not a deliberate choice necessarily. There's not a single time when you you look back and you say, it was that one big choice where that person decided that they're going to become, you know, they don't just sit there and say, you know what, I decided today I'm going to be materialistic and not follow God. It doesn't just happen like that. It's something that subtly creeps in on us without realizing it. So I saw one person put this test. It says, here's a test of five questions. A test for greed or a test for covetousness. I thought this was pretty insightful. So, so I thought I'd give you the test today, all right? Now, because it's a test on whether or not you're greedy or covetous, I'd prefer you not answer out loud, all right? Because I don't want anybody seeing my answers. But here's some things to think about. Number one, do my thoughts more often run after the material things than after God himself? So am I constantly thinking about maybe a new car or a nicer house or a better computer, and I seldom think about how I can know God better? If so, maybe I'm tainted by greed. Number two, do I ever compromise godly character in the pursuit of material gain? So by that, I mean, do I sometimes cheat or do I sometimes steal to, to get ahead or to avoid loss? If so, I'm being greedy. Am I willing to shred apart relationships, take advantage of other people in a business just so my, for my own financial gain? If so, I'm being greedy. Number three, he says, he put in this test of five, he says, do I enjoy material things more than I enjoy knowing God? So if my happiness is similar to the first one, but if my happiness soars, like when I get something new, but I can't get worked up about even spending time with God, it may be that greed has crept in and we don't even know it. Number four, he said, how do I respond when I lose material things? So stock market, stock market drops. Do I fall emotionally? You get robbed or you lose things. Do we always feel a sadness when we lose things and it wipes us out and we, and we find ourselves depressed? And he's saying, now hold on now, that's not too fair. I mean, I wouldn't want my house to burn down. I wouldn't either. I'm not saying that. I'm not, but I'm saying there's, we're trying to get to the heart of greed and covetousness. And we're just, we're just asking some questions to try to see how much value do we put on our things above God. I think number five, he asks this, what would I do if I suddenly came into a fortune? I'd like to test that one out, to be honest with you, and just see. But um, if any of you have a fortune, I'm just, that was greedy there. I'm kidding. But the thought on this is, there is a problem in our society with materialism. There is a problem in our society with greed. And now some of them may say, well, it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, that is the American way. Success is the American way. As long as we're not extreme about it, we can pursue nice things in life. And there's going to be some, some little bit of answer to that at the end. But I think there's three fundamental problems with greed that in this text that we're going to see and covetousness. Number one is this greed or covetousness ignores the lordship of Christ over everything. Did you notice in this phrase, let me, let me take some, this passage and read it again with highlighting a few words, all right? Let me highlight a few words. It says uh, in this parable, and he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentiful, and he said within himself, saying, What shall I 
do because I have no room wherewith to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and therefore will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, this is getting hard to do, to be honest with you, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, drink, and eat, and be merry. Did you notice the emphasis there? Over six times that he said I, and he used some other phrases there to talk about my, 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 I did all of this. This is all about me. And greed, if we're not careful, causes us to ignore the lordship of Christ over everything. The Bible tells us in Psalm 24, 1, that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell Therein, Everything that you see, everything on this earth, really is God's. If he lets us use any of it, he still retains the ownership of it. There's a term you'll hear sometimes from preachers. You'll hear sometimes, maybe in a class like this, I'm getting ready to use it. It's the term stewardship. Because the world is the Lord's and he is the owner over everything, uh, he may allow us to be stewards of it, but it, it's not our own. Remember, even our own life is not our own. It's bought with a price. Remember, 1 Corinthians says that your body is not your own. He says you were bought with a price of Jesus Christ. So everything that we have, we are just stewards of it. It all belongs to God. So I wrote some things down here. If he's given you health, then you will give account to God for how you manage the health of your body. If he's given you intelligence, then he'll demand an account on how you used it for his purposes. If he's entrusted you with material goods and money, then someday you're going to give an answer for how you've invested it in the light of eternity. See, everything that God has given you, you are a steward of it. Because the, the world, everything is God's. And so we got to understand the lordship of Christ over everything. This man didn't. He looked at everything as his. It's mine, 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 mine. But we have to realize that we are bought by Christ. It's his. And so... It, this, this, if you feel your flesh right now kind of pushing against this, there may be a little bit of greed or selfishness in this. That says, you know what? Well, I worked hard for this. Who gave you the job? Who gave you the health to be able to go to that job? Yeah, but I, but I had to do the work. Yeah, who enabled you? See, God is the answer to all of this. So everything is revolves around him. He is Lord over all. So number one, greed ignores or covetous and ignores lordship of Christ over everything. Number two, greed or covetousness ignores the priority of relationship over riches. Relationships over riches. You notice in this passage, it sounds like the guy and his brother are not real close. Did you catch that? It sounded like uh, if you're willing to interrupt a sermon of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, to point at your brother, probably not on the best of terms in a relationship. And what broke down this relationship? Well, it's not really not too much different than what we see in our society today. I mean, how many families are in discord when someone dies over an inheritance. Mm -hmm. I see him in my office. I work at a bank as a retail loan officer. And I think it was not too long, not too long ago, I had someone in there. And they all they were trying to do with me is position themselves to get this house when their, when their parent died because they don't like their brother and they don't want their brother to get her sister. I don't remember what it was. And I got to get this before they get it. And they were all fighting over stuff. 
You know, what happens a lot of times when greed takes over is relationships fall apart and all we care about is riches and, and what we can have. It, it, but remember what the Bible tells us? The Bible says that we're to love the Lord thy God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. And he says, and the second is likened to it. What was the second? Love thy neighbor as thyself. So materials didn't even make the top two. He didn't say, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your things, secondly, and then love your neighbor. No, he says, love God and love your neighbor. But so often our love for money pushes aside relationships that God values. And so this man here, he had obviously a relationship problem with his brother. He had a problem with the Lordship of Christ and viewing everything of himself. But I see number three, greed ignores the shortness of life and the fact of eternity. Because here was this man, and it's a parable, I understand that, but this rich man, had he'd been thinking through and thought out a very, I think, important decision is, what am I going to do with all these funds that are coming in? Never something we've had to worry about too often, but he had to figure it out. So he said, I'm going to tear down these barns. I'm going to build bigger barns. And he was, everything was thinking about now, here and now. And I think I can see some of my logical thinking friends out there that think, like I try to think, what is the just logical thing? To me, I would be like, well, that's logical, okay? This is what we need to do. But I think the point that Jesus was trying to drive home is, we can become so temporal in our thinking. This earth is so temporary. At most, we're here maybe 100 years like Dan, all right? Maybe we're here 100 years. Dan, I think he's about 100 now. I'm just kidding. At most, we're here maybe 102 years. But eternity is so long. And so we get to mindset so often that everything on this earth this earth is everything and we have to have everything but we forget about the shortness of life and the fact about eternity and this man when god did come to him in verse 20 our phrase he says but god says but god said unto him thou fool this night thy soul shall be required of thee in this parable the man was going to be dying that night and he wasn't prepared he was prepared financially but finances won't get you to heaven. He was he was prepared as far as a, a plan to deal with his with to deal with his uh, earnings and all that he had, but that wasn't going to get him to heaven. Judgment and eternity were far from his mind. Was far from his mind. And so now God comes and says, "Today, tonight, you're going to die." He said, then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? What good are they going to do you? They're not going to do you any good. And we've got to be careful as we deal in business day to day. And you have to deal with money every day. You just have to. You have to pay your bills. You have to work. It's part of life. But I think what one of the areas that this parable is trying to teach us is in the normal course of life, don't lose thought of eternity in God. Don't allow the deceit of riches to choke out the word of God and the relationship that you have with God. So greed ignores the shortness of life and as it did here. And so, first of all, we, we, I mentioned, I've, I know I've had a lot of subpoints, different things, but we all have a choice on how we're going to invest our lives. We can invest our lives in the pursuit of money or we can invest our lives in the pursuit of Christ and whatever he gives us. It's his choice. And if he blesses us with it, great, use it to glorify him. And if he 
doesn't, then don't complain about it. But number two, or however you want to do it in your notes, the world's perspective on how to invest our lives is at odds with God's perspective. You see, the world would view this rich man as a success. The world would point to this guy and said, what a success he is. Look at him. I mean, he's got so much money he doesn't even know what to do with. He's paying his bills. He's an upright citizen. This man is a success. And he would be probably featured in the business magazines. He'd be have a model on how to follow. He would have a blog on here's the 10 steps I did to get to the place that I'm at and how financially secure I am. And everything, he, he would be a picture of success. But God's perspective is different. God's perspective is not that riches are inherently wrong. You don't see where God criticizes riches in the Bible. You remember it's the love of money that's the root of all evil. So God's perspective, though, is money can be great if it's used in line line with God's perspective. There's a lot of wealthy men in the Bible. Can you think off the top of your head of a wealthy person in the Bible? Do you remember any? Job was pretty wealthy for a while, wasn't he? Then everything got taken away. A great illustration of how fast things could go. Job was, was, he had the 10 kids. That would have drained his riches. But then he had, uh, but he had all kinds of cattle and sheep. He had everything. He, he was loaded. And then all of a sudden, these storms come in and take everything. But he still had God. See, it's just a, that's a, that's a flip side of how fast everything can go. Abraham was a man in the Bible rich, was he not? Man, he had, he was, he, he had all kinds of things to the point where the, his herdsmen started fighting with the herdsmen of his family, remember a lot, and they had to separate. But he had all kinds of money and riches and goods. Isaac did, Jacob did, Joseph did. All of these enjoyed God's blessings, but along with it, they were godly men. They were just godly men that God chose to bless. But these men were also generous men, if you study their lives, and they lived their life in light of eternity. Paul told Timothy something. I'll read you this text. In 1 Timothy 6, here's something that Paul told a younger Timothy about riches. He said, Charge them that are rich in this world that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches. Don't put your trust in that. We just talked about that with Job. But in the living God, who giveth us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good. And that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, that means to share, to give, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. Now, I don't know if you caught all that because you weren't looking at it, you were just listening to me and you got other thoughts in your mind. So sometime go back to 1 Timothy 6 because that's a good passage. But I love a few of those phrases when he says, charge those that are rich. So those that do have money, And he says, don't trust in those riches. Trust in God. Don't allow the relationship with God to be choked away. Because what will happen is, when something gets tight or 2020 comes and you can't go to work, you know what? There were a lot of, and I I say this as soul-searching as I can, but there were a lot of people that couldn't go back to work in 2020. And they were living comfortably before in their good job, and now... They were worried and struggling financially. And guess what? God was still the same God. But their finances were under question and they learned who they were really trusting in that whole time. Well, I was really trusting in my finances and say I was trusting in God. And when 2020 stripped me of everything, all of a sudden I become filled with anxiety. Well, what changed? Did God change? No. 
finances changed. Now, I'm saying that as a teacher, acting like it's the easiest thing in the world. You know what would happen to me if my finances changed? I'd probably struggle with worry. I would try to fight it. But the idea is, what I'm saying is we have to... we. We have to do some searching to say, where is this greater covetousness? Am I really dependent upon what I have? Am I stingy with what I have? Because he talked about this in here. Or am I willing to give to help others, to glorify God? Is there a giving spirit in me, which is what Jesus teaches in the Word? And so that's a little, there's a different perspective on how the world views it versus us. And then finally, too, I don't even know how to best word this, but we are to invest, if we're going to invest our life successfully, I guess one way of saying it is we got to deposit our life in with Jesus Christ and spend it for his eternity. By that I mean this, my life needs to be consumed with living for Christ and, and putting all my trust in him and using whatever God gives me to build his kingdom, to glorify him. And so we have to have the heartbeat that says, God, I remember what Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God. So are we thinking about the stewardship of what we have? Are we able to use our home to, in some ways to glorify God? Are we able to, or do we realize that, that in our giving or realize in our helping of others or maybe buying a Bible for someone or whatever it may be? I, if I gave an illustration, I feel like I limit the application to just that. But in your heart, you've got to search. And that's the whole thing towards this, this whole passage today is this. In your heart, is there a trust in your riches and a leaning towards greediness? Or is there a heart that says, God, everything you've given me is yours. So you guide me however you want me to use it. Help me to be like Christ with my finances. Let's pray.